you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, the flowers will fade, the grass will wither, but the word of our Lord will endure forever. I pray that you would be lifted up in the reading of your word. We now stand humbly under your word, believing that it has the power to free and to heal and to lead us into truth, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it is good to be together today. You know, over the past couple of weeks, uh, we've had some problems with our car, and it's required a couple uh, trips to the mechanic, and it turned out that our brake system was malfunctioning. It was kind of a hard thing to diagnose, and though it was costly and frustrating and disruptive, it is one of those things we are glad to have fixed. A car without brakes is a pretty serious situation. In our text today, I, I was thinking about this image of running without brakes, moving without brakes, because in essence, I would suggest to you today that the Pharisees' brakes are not working. <laughs> They have lost sight of this gift of Sabbath rest, and they have turned something that was supposed to be a means of rest and renewal and liberation into something that was marked by striving and oppressive legalism. The Pharisees' breaks are not working. And Jesus confronts that in our passage directly. Now, we've noticed over the course of this series that sometimes Jesus takes on a confrontational tone. And this was very evident in last week's text, which Janet preached on, where we heard all these woes. Woe to you, Pharisees. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I I feel a little bit uh, jolted by Jesus in those scenes. We talk a lot about the love and the mercy and the compassion of Jesus. And when he takes on this confrontational tone, uh, it's a bit unsettling for us. I want to remind us, though, friends, that the challenge and the confrontation that Jesus brings, I believe, is rooted in a deep love for these Pharisees, a deep love for the people. I actually want to back up the text just a couple verses because it sets some important context for Jesus' response and approach to the Pharisees. We read this in Luke 13, 34, where Jesus is looking over the city of Jerusalem, and he says this. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you, to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. Can we hear the heart that Jesus has for these religious leaders, these religious insiders, his desire that they would turn and live. Can we remember that the challenge, the hard words, the confrontation is rooted in his love? Now, if my mechanic didn't want to tell me that my brakes were working because he didn't want me to feel bad, that wouldn't be a very good thing, right? He would be putting me at risk. If he was worried that I'd be upset about the bill, and so he withheld that information for me, that wouldn't be a loving thing. It wouldn't be a reliable thing, a good thing. And in a similar way, I think Jesus wants to warn us about those things that have the potential to disrupt our life. I want to suggest to you this, friends, that a life without Sabbath is like a car without brakes. Without it, we put ourselves and we put others at risk. 
As we sit around this meal with Jesus today, my, my prayer is that we would recover this life-giving rhythm, this invitation that God wants to offer us today to enter into a rhythm that will lead to rest, renewal, and healing. And so the Pharisees, uh, for some context here, have really lost sight of the purpose of Sabbath. The religious leaders of the day and the experts of the law had built all these rules and regulations around this day that was meant to be a time of renewal and rest. In fact, in the ancient law of the time and the commentary on the Ten Commandments, there were 39 specific prohibitions for the Sabbath day. I wanted to list just a few that come up in in these ancient documents. And so of these 39, this included baking, this including sewing two stitches, I guess you could do one, Uh, tearing in order to sew two stitches, writing two letters, erasing in order to write two letters, pulling down, putting out a fire, lighting a fire, striking with a hammer, and taking anything from one room to another room. So just, just for a little bit of context here, this is what Sabbath had become. Jesus had famously said in other parts of the gospel, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. But that is what had happened. The focus had been twisted. This uh, gift of Sabbath was meant to lead to liberation, and now it was all about striving and trying to live the law to perfection. Now, we even notice a detail in our text that the, the Pharisees are focused on the wrong thing. They're attending to the wrong things. Let's look at, at verse 1 here. On Sabbath, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. I just wanted to underline that. That is what the disciples are focusing on. They're watching him. Is he going to break one of the 39 prohibitions? Can we catch him breaking one of the rules? Now, let's see this in contrast to what Jesus notices, what he is attending to. They're focusing on Jesus. They're carefully watching him for heresy. But there in front of him was standing a man suffering Where they're focused on the rules, Jesus sees a man who is suffering, and he wants to set him free. Perhaps on first read, it's hard for us to connect to this story. Because, to be honest, we we don't wrestle, I think, with the similar struggles around Sabbath. In fact, I think we're dealing with the opposite extreme. So the Pharisees have 39 things they couldn't do. I actually think a lot of us are coming today, and we're thinking about the 39 things we have to do, right? We're in a cultural moment where the practice of Sabbath is actually neglected altogether, and we live in a world with a 24-7 rhythm, and we're part of that rhythm. And so it, it might, on first read, feel like this isn't totally connecting to us, but I want to suggest that we're actually a lot more similar than, to the Pharisees uh, than, than we realize. See, they are striving to keep the law to perfection by keeping these 39 prohibitions, but I actually think the things that cause us to neglect Sabbath are also rooted in a different kind of striving. We're both looking elsewhere besides God, to to give us salvation. We're looking to other things for our identity, for our security. For For the Pharisees, it was keeping the law to perfection. But for us, I think we're looking to other things to save us. And it's causing us to not be able to put on the brakes and to cease striving. You might ask yourself, what makes it hard for you to be still? 
to enter into this rhythm? Is it not a striving of one sort or another? I think some of us are striving for affirmation. We're working ourselves to the ground because we want to be seen as someone who is reliable or good at what we do, and so that drives us. That's what we put our hope in, our identity in, and what other people think. I think some of us are driven by achievement. I just want to accomplish more because then I'll feel like I have arrived, that I'm good enough. We're trying to save ourselves for our achievements. Still others, and I think this is a big thing in our world, is we're driven by the accumulation of things, of money. If I just have a little bit more, I will feel secure. If I just put in a few more hours, build up that bank account, then I'll be enough. See how we're striving? Because we're looking elsewhere for salvation. And I think some of us, we're, we're just actually driven by adrenaline. I, just, I don't want to miss out. I want to be experiencing all that this world has to offer, and so we don't want to be still, right? Because we're looking elsewhere for meaning in this world. I think this is a, a common struggle, and I think that this message applies to us in a similar way. We're not striving to keep the law to perfection, but we're striving for something. And it's making us hard, hard for us to rest. That is our cultural moment. And I think we are caught up in a rhythm that is unsustainable. And that is making, hard for, making it hard for us to be still. I read a, a book by a man named Colin Bevan a few years ago. And he spent a year trying to live off the grid to live uh, just completely sustainably. And it was this form of experimental journalism, which was popular a few years ago, where people would live a certain way and, and write about it. So he and his family, they didn't drive, they didn't use uh, cooking oil, they just kind of lived off the land. And what he noticed when he was forced to slow down is how deeply entrenched these rhythms of speed and production were built into his body and his mind and his soul. And he had a moment where this was revealed to him. He was walking with his daughter to a playground. They weren't driving, and so they were slowing down there walking. And on the way, his three-year-old daughter became enamored with this chain-link fence, and she started playing with it. And he said to his daughter, let's get going because we need to get this over with. And it was a moment where he realized that this, this value of speed was making it impossible for him to just savor this moment, the joy that his daughter was experiencing. And this is, this is what he wrote. He said, at what age did I start to think that where I was going was more important than where I was already? When was it that I began to believe that the most important thing about what I was doing was getting it over with? Does that name anything for, for some of you? As a parent of twins, I've been trying to get over a lot of time lately. We use this phrase, killing time. I just got to kill some time. Right? I think that's a symptom of, of this cultural rhythm that we are part of, that it's hard for us to just be still and to enjoy the gifts of life that God has before us. We do not have a savoring pace of life. We have a productive pace of life. And so I want to speak into that, and I, I want to explore through this text some of the ways that we might rediscover the gift of Sabbath, how we might get our brakes fixed, as it were, how we might learn how to be still and, and be renewed. And so there's a couple things I notice in this text. And the first thing that I think is key to recovering Sabbath is remembering the purpose of Sabbath, remembering what this commandment, this this call was all about. See, the Pharisees lost sight of it. They didn't have a vision for it anymore. And so it was being neglected. 
Now, in, in the Gospels, Jesus is often getting in trouble for breaking the rules on the Sabbath, and there's two main things that he does that gets him in trouble. He nourishes people, and he heals people. He lets his disciples pick grain, even though it's one of the 39 prohibitions, because he wants them to, to be nourished and renewed, and he's always healing people on the Sabbath. Now, I think Jesus is communicating symbolically something very significant. He's saying to the Pharisees, Sabbath is meant to nourish and to heal. That is the purpose of this day. It is a a healing rhythm. And and if I could go a little bit deeper, a word I want to add into this mix is that Sabbath is about liberation and freedom. This man who was healed from this, this disease was liberated from something that constricted and took life from him. He was freed. Now, when you go back to the Ten Commandments, particularly as they are written in the book of Deuteronomy, we see that God attaches Sabbath to this notion of liberation. This is what we read in Deuteronomy 5. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, obey the Sabbath. That's the the end of that verse. This is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. Sabbath is attached to this notion of freedom. That is the vision, the purpose of this. I want to read a quote from Timothy Keller that I find very helpful, and I hope that this connects with your experience today. God ties Sabbath to freedom from slavery. And anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, or to all of the above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. And so the question I want to pose to you today is what would it look like for Sabbath to be a time of nourishment, healing, and freedom? What would that rhythm look like for you? How might we recover a Sabbath that leads to liberation, to be your declaration of freedom? Now, this will probably apply to us in different ways, but it requires some intentionality. Sabbath is more than just a day off where you binge watch Netflix, right? (laughs) And actually, I think some of the, the rhythms we do bring to our day off are actually not very liberating. This is a quote from Jeffrey Bilbrow, who we've been reading for our media class, and he says this, much of what we do under the rubric of unwinding or self-care doesn't actually recreate or restore it. It it scratches the itch of our restless souls, and by so doing, keeps the wounds from healing. And then he says, Netflix isn't the balm of Gilead. (laughs) Isn't Isn't that great? But some of the things that we do that we are hoping will renew and recreate us are actually just building into that rhythm of distraction and our inability to, to enjoy and savor life. And so I'm wondering what a, a liberating rhythm might look like. We remember that Sabbath is meant to be unto the Lord. This is a time of, of spiritual renewal. One, one advice that I heard once that simplified it for me is find out what work is and don't do it. That's a little easier to remember than 39 lists of what you can and can't do. But what leads to liberation? Do we need to maybe reevaluate what we do for renewal and find things that actually, actually heal?
And so we recover Sabbath by remembering, having a vision for the purpose that this is meant for liberation. The second thing I notice in this text is that it also requires to silence the voices of opposition. Those voices that would tell us that it's not okay for us to rest. You notice the Pharisees' response. It was kind of a jarring ending to the reading of our text today. It said at the end of our passage, and they had nothing to say. They were silent. Now, here's what uh, Craig Keener points up in his, in his background commentary. And he says that this silence is saying something. Jewish legal experts debated proper Sabbath laws among themselves. And if one side was silenced and unable to reply, they would be presumed wrong. Or at best, too ignorant of what the law was to defend their position. They were presumed wrong. I love that in this moment, Jesus silences the, the Pharisees. Their arguments fall short. They can't reply. They just stood there in silence. And I just wonder what voices need to be silenced today. These voices that tell us that it's not okay for us to rest. I wonder if one voice that needs to be silenced is this voice that says, it's all up to you. It's all up to you. Do you ever feel that weight? Like, I can't rest because the kingdom of God will crumble without me, (laughs) right? I want us to just replace that with this voice that we are not messiahs, we are ministers, we can rest because there is a God who continues to work. I wonder if some of us need to silence a voice today that says, you are not enough. If We need to just tone down that voice or this voice that says God will not accept you. Do we need to silence that voice? And how do we do that practically? Honestly, and I maybe say this too much, but the voices of social media are contrary to the voice of Jesus because that's where we hear this message, I'm not enough. I'm not comparing to that curated vision of other people's lives. Do we need to turn it off, friends? I'm just so ready to just turn it off. (laughs) How do we silence those voices? So we recover Sabbath by remembering the purpose of it, by silencing those voices of, of opposition. But this is the thing I want to leave us with, and this is the important part. We are able to recover Sabbath when we discover, again, that we have a God of provision, a God of enough. Now, we, we notice that Jesus gets in a whole lot of trouble for breaking the Sabbath rules. It is actually one of the grounds by which he has led to his arrest and his crucifixion. And we might ask this question, like, what is going on here? Why is this uh, so controversial? And on one level, it's controversial because Jesus is speaking with authority over the legal experts of the day. But there's something else going on here that's significant. What I think is so controversial to the Pharisees is that Jesus is acting like God. In Jewish thought, there was this idea that God did continue to work on Sabbath because the world was sustained and people were sometimes healed and babies were born. And the reason why we could rest was because God held all things together. And so when Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he is acting as if he is God. Now, this becomes very clear to us in another passage in John 15, where we see what the controversy is all about. And so I wanted to read this. Because Jesus was doing these things, he was healing another person on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. 
And Jesus said to them this, notice this, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So we read in this passage that Jesus is showing that he is this God that continues to do his work. We can cease striving. Why? Because God is continuing the work of the kingdom. We can rest because we are ministers, not messiahs. We can rest knowing that it's not all up to us, but there is a God that continues to hold things together. There's a God of provision. You see, our capacity to let go of these other things we strive for, for affirmation and achievement, is to root our, our security and our identity in a God that heals, a God that is bigger than all the things we are trying to carry. When we rest in that, our striving can cease. And so I leave you with this prayer. This is a prayer of David in Psalm 46, where he says, Cease striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Can you notice why we can cease striving? Cease striving because God is God. He is our hope. He is our stronghold. I pray that you might receive that invitation, enter into that rest, and so be nourished and healed and liberated. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you uh, for your word. As we come now to your table, we are mindful that you are a God of provision. You are the bread of life that nourishes us. You are the wellspring of living water. We come to this sacramental meal reminding that it is you that fills and nourishes us. And so as we come to this table, as we practice this day of Sabbath rest, may we abide in your love so that we might be ready to produce the fruit of righteousness and and love in the week to come. Meet us, Lord, in this table, we pray in your name. Amen.